Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. When somebody's experiencing something, especially something awful, we don't need to tell them what they're experiencing. They're very aware of it. And instead, we need to amplify what's being done about it. What are people trying, whether that's here, across the country, or wherever. Covering City Hall and government meetings has always been a core practice for local news. But with many of those newsrooms understaffed or disappearing altogether, who is left to report those meetings? I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Julie Christie is the Director of Data and Special Projects at Resolve Philly. Resolve Philly and Chicago's City Bureau Documenters Network have teamed up to recruit, train, and pay Philadelphians to attend and take notes at public meetings across the city. And Julie is here to tell us about it. Julie, welcome to Tell Journalism. Thank you so much for having me. You know, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into interested in journalism? And like with sports reporters or certain other beats where I ask them which came first, sports or journalism, which came first for you, journalism or data? Well, when I was really little, my two favorite TV shows, there was one about journalists in the Revolutionary War, and there was another just math show that I really, really loved as a small child. And I think that those definitely combined into me being super interested in data journalism. I think I did the typical thing of going into journalism because I did not want to do mathematics as a career. And here I am doing mathematics and journalism. And it's because I really enjoy making things that feel inaccessible to me, i.e. math, more accessible to other people. You know, it's this really important thing that data is, you know, turning into something that controls our lives. It informs the decisions that people make about how we should be living and what we have access to. And combining that with the purpose of journalism, which is to provide people with information for their autonomy, it made a lot of sense. But it really clicked when I was in college and took a data journalism course while I was also the crime beat at my student newspaper. Actually, I was the news editor at the time. And I went to NICAR, which is the big data journalism conference. And that was my, you know, angel singing moment where I realized that that was a whole career I could pursue. And there was so much for me to learn and that I didn't have to manually count printed out sheets of paper that the campus police department were giving me to get enough data together to put a chart on the website. So yeah, it really was in very quick succession for me. You know, what was it about using data to tell stories that kind of attracted you? Yeah, at the beginning, It was really the fact that I felt more confident about my journalism when I could back it up with data. It, I think, tapped into the part of me that really enjoys like the scientific method where I got to put together a question or an idea that I wanted to answer and run a whole bunch of tests essentially to figure out whether or not I was getting the correct answer. I love getting things right. And data journalism 
lets you do that in a very, very clear way of either the math is correct or it is not. And I think now in my work with Resolve, because we do so much community-centered work, it has really turned into a passion for giving people back their data, if that makes any sense. So not only do advertisers and tech companies extract a lot of data from us, local governments and federal governments, state governments, everybody, researchers are constantly extracting data from us. You know, the census is essentially that. And so is a lot of the things that Philadelphia government does in order to inform its work. But when you start to pick apart how they collect the data and who they collect it from and what it's been like for different communities, to interact with the government versus others, it's very clear that this data does not totally represent people. One of the things that I really care about is the fact that a lot of times in data journalism or using data or whatever the case may be, you focus so much on the numbers and forget that these numbers are not that, they are people and the experiences that people have had, things that they've lived through. And remembering that and reminding both ourselves as journalists, as well as everybody else, that yes, this number is very important. It's shocking. And it's because in theory, we know that these are people, but bringing it back to reality that it really is what is happening to people and what they're experiencing, what they're going through. And I think that data journalism is a way for people to take back control over the data that gets extracted from them. Big data has a lot of roots and some really horrible things. The first advent of big data was for the slave trade. And that's something that I think, you know, not a lot of people either know about or remember. And it's important to just, you know, bring it back to, at the end of the day, people deserve to know what is going on in their worlds and why. As you're sort of talking, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, there's a whole other conversation about the ethics of data collection and, and how it's used. The numbers then become sort of an other where if you don't root information like this, in human beings and in how it relates to, you know, whatever, how much rain they get or, you know, how much money their their average salary is, then it's invisible. It's a way to sort of almost hide a story or just not report it, I guess. But anyway, do you think a lot about that, about sort of the ethical considerations of data collection? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things we spend, I spend a good amount of time on at Resolve because we work with a lot of communities that have been for, you know, kind of ease of understanding, like burned by not just the journalism industry, but by society. I mean, more so when it comes to society, you know, people who've been systematically disenfranchised, people who've experienced racism and, you know, the war on poverty and all of that kind of stuff that really makes it difficult for people to live when so many incredibly powerful institutions, whether that be government or the institution of journalism, 
completely disregard and disenfranchise them, it's important to remember that position of power that we've created for ourselves as journalists in this society, as essentially the shepherds and harbingers of information, as well as the gatekeepers of a lot of information that we reevaluate and really take a look at ourselves in the mirror on how we collect information from people and collect their stories and their experiences and then share it out in a way that is empowering to them and not just in ways that make for a good story. Just because it makes for a good story does not mean that the subject of that story feels good when we're done with them. A lot of dine and dash attitude that I think journalism has adopted in its practices when it comes to talking to people that is really, really harmful and hurtful. And it's more so than just bad practices amongst journalists. It's very much the norm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I've probably been guilty of that on occasion. You know, could you just please answer this question so I can write this story and move on to the next one? So tell me a little bit about Resolve Philly. You kind of talked about some of the things it was focused on, but, you know, what is its mission and how is it helping people, assuming it's helping people? Yeah. So we are a nonprofit that focuses on supporting local journalism to be more community-centered, solutions-focused, and equitable in its coverage of communities across the board. I think that you know, one of our taglines is that we challenge the journalism industry to be better when it comes to community work and solutions, journalism reporting. And it's because we've seen studies and also just personal evidence that when local news focuses on solutions, centers the community in the entire process of producing journalism, people develop more trust in their local news. And we know that when you trust your local news, you're more likely to support it. It actually helps the bottom line of a lot of newsrooms. And the other big thing that we do is we push our local newsrooms to be really collaborative. So we do a lot of work that builds bridges between people who've never had an interaction with a journalist to you know, connect them with newsrooms so that they can share with those newsrooms the things that they're experiencing and newsrooms learning to trust those community members back, you know, kind of doing the opposite when it comes to the community of distrusting first and verifying immediately around that and instead pushing journalists to trust communities when they share what's happening to them. There's no reason that they would be lying about what they're going through and to work together to do a lot of that. So we have a newsroom collaborative that consists of more than 27 newsrooms in Philadelphia right now. Yeah, we have a lot of newsrooms here and, you know, we call it a, a news jungle instead of a news desert. And, you know, we work with enormous newsrooms like the Inquirer, WHYY, we have NBC10 in our collaborative, as well as newsrooms that are really just one journalist 
who is reporting and editing and putting stories out there. We've got a lot of newsroom partners who focus on really specific communities, including newsrooms like Philly Gay News or Filatinos Radio, Dos Puntos, multilingual newsrooms. I think we have at least four languages represented in our collaborative now. So we've gotten them all to work together to share what they're reporting on and resources amongst each other so that it's easier to do the news when you're not worried that somebody's going to scoop you and instead know that they're using their resources to get that different angle um, or to dive deeper on something that you don't have the resources or time to do within your newsroom. So working with all of them to practice all of the stuff that I was talking about um, of connecting with communities, building trust with them, and thinking about what are the solutions to the issues that people are facing and how do we amplify those in our reporting? Because when somebody's experiencing something, especially something awful, we don't need to tell them what they're experiencing. They're very aware of it. And instead, we need to amplify what's being done about it. What are people trying, whether that's here, across the country, or wherever. Now, when we started this conversation talking about the documenters, tell me a little bit about that program and how it's sort of uh, put together in Philly. Documenters is a whole network of cities now. It started in Chicago and has now expanded to nine cities. And in Philadelphia, we're doing a lot of the same things that the other documentary cities are doing, which is training community members, so in our case, Philadelphians, to take notes at public meetings and then sending them to those public meetings and paying them for their time while they're taking and editing the notes. And the program it does a lot of things, both for, you know, community residents, as well as for local information systems and for local journalism and all of that stuff. And so it's a huge network now of a bunch of cities, which is great because we all get to learn from each other. That is just the end of the day, doing what a lot of cities need to be doing, but on their own, probably don't have the resources to. And the fallback for that was local news going to those meetings, but local news is very strapped right now for resources. And so this is creating another safety net of making sure that what happens at public meetings does not go unheard by, you know, the citizens that, these meetings are supposed to be for. Yeah, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. It's going to make it sound like I'm being critical of, of the documenters, but I'm not. But I want to sort of understand a couple of things from a practical standpoint as a journalist and as, you know, a resident of some place that has a local government that meets regularly that I kind of know about. If I cared and I had the time, I could, you know, turn on the public access TV and watch the local government meeting. I can subscribe to an alert that'll send me notes from the meeting, you know, and I also, I know that there are, are programs out there where somebody can just take a recording of a meeting and transcribe it. So what is the advantage of having somebody there 
who's not you know not necessarily a, a trained journalist, but someone that you've trained to take notes and provide those to you. To me, at a certain level, it seems like some of this are things that can be either information that can be provided other ways or in different forms. What is this model doing? Yeah, I think a couple of the things you said that said are actually the answer to this. You know, you have the time to <laughs> check into these meetings. You, you caught my clue. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's really, it's really important to think about, especially the larger the city, the more meetings there are. I grew up in a very rural part of New Hampshire where really everybody could have made it to every meeting because there were 2,000 people in our town. And that was it. And so it was very easy to have access to local government because more often than not, you lived at least three houses from somebody who worked in City Hall. But here in Philadelphia, with one and a half million people, the infrastructure needed to make the city run means that there's more meetings than you can go to. And the first issue of if you're a resident who doesn't have time, that's a huge issue here in Philadelphia because... Here, we have a lot of people who are experiencing economic insecurity or economic hardship. So if you're more concerned about getting to one of your multiple jobs on public transportation, and that is not the most reliable thing in this city, and also you're worried about making sure somebody's picking up your kids from school and getting them home safely, and also you have to go pick up food, going to a public meeting is a luxury at the end of the day. It's something that is accessible because access to things is a privilege that we've created. So the first big thing is because not everybody can get to those meetings does not mean they do not deserve to know what happens at those meetings. It is a right, you know, access to things should is a right. It is not a privilege. That's the first big thing is, you know, not everybody has the time and ability to go. And the other really important stuff that you mentioned around things like transcriptions and things like that. The first thing is these meetings are also very long. <laughs> and the longer the meeting, the longer the transcription and going through every single word is going to be a terrible experience. Nobody's going to enjoy it. And therefore, you're not going to take the time. It's then going to take kind of just as long to read the transcription as it is to attend the meeting. Even if you treat it like a podcast and can have something dictate the notes. But the most important thing is that AI is not people. That's actually hugely important because if you've lived in Philadelphia, you know things that, you know, Otter AI or any transcription is not going to know. And so when you're there taking notes, you can pick up on what this neighborhood is that people are talking about and why it's important that it's being mentioned in this meeting. Or things like when a particular person stands up to give testimony a transcription service is not going to pick up on who rolls their eyes or who everybody gets very quiet for because they want to hear what they have to say or when the energy of a room changes because of something somebody said. And when you have people in person taking notes, you get all of that. You get 
the history and the context of what it means to be a Philadelphian. And that is essential to knowing what goes on in our public meetings and what that means to us. So as the director of data and digital digital projects, what's your role then in the documenters? Yeah. So to get into the brass tacks, it's really, I'm going to be spending time with one of my colleagues to edit these notes, help people put together those threads of information, whether that be, hey, this thing's been coming up in a lot of meetings or pointing out, did they answer this question that somebody had or did they kind of just waffle about and not say anything of substance and work with documenters as they do more assignments to get better at that, to improve their writing skills, which is something that, you know, is a great byproduct of having some sort of writer editor relationship. So yeah, my role is, you know, in the brass tacks, working directly with documenters, editing things, assigning people to meetings to go to, and then making sure that those notes end up online and available for everybody. But on a larger sense, I'm sitting and thinking about what can we do with this huge corpus of notes that we're going to be generating? And what is the biggest picture that we can do with this? Because one of the benefits of being not an actual newsroom, instead a nonprofit that works with a bunch of newsrooms, is that we are not beholden to a lot of breaking news. We are able to zoom out in ways that a lot of newsrooms are not quite able to because they don't have the people, they don't have the capacity to do that. And thinking about, you know, a year from now, we have a year's worth of public meeting notes. What are these notes going to tell us? What can we do with them? And take the time to find the follow-up on what happens at these meetings. Reach out to the journalists who I know are really interested in this, but because it's outside of their beat, can't go to this public meeting. They can't justify it to their editor. That's fine because I've had a documenter there and then I can flag the thing that they were looking for to them. And thinking about how it fits into this initiative that Documenters is part of here at Resolve called Shake the Table, where we're focusing on how do we hold the city accountable to doing a better job in its day-to-day operations and services for residents. It's this huge initiative that we've decided to take on and really thinking about how does a more complete public record feed into residents being able to hold our elected officials and especially the officials who we don't get to elect accountable to what we want them to do. How many documenters do you have and and what are some of the meetings that you're covering? Since our announcement last Thursday, we've had 179 people sign up on our interest form. Wow. Which is a lot. a lot of meetings. <laughs> it's a lot. Before we did the announcement, I was talking to my bosses and I said, you know, I'd be really excited if we had 30 people who were interested and seven of them were consistently doing notes. And right now we're trying to figure out, all right, how do we train 50 people at a time (laughs) and spread it out and all that stuff? Because also there's only so many meetings 
in Philadelphia that we can get access to. But it's great. It's the challenge of abundance, which is very exciting to see. And so once folks are trained up and ready to go get assignments, which will be, you know, in June at the latest is when people are going to be able to get out there and take notes and everything. The meetings that we're sending them to are <laughs> to be, you know, kind of fun about it. Is they're the least sexy meetings when it comes to the city and how it works because our city council meetings, those are very well covered. There's no need for documenters to be there because lots of local journalists are going to those meetings. So we're not trying to overlap with them in any way. Instead, we want to go to licenses and inspections and we want to go to zoning board meetings. and We want to go to the small developer meetings directly within a community because those are the meetings that really shake up people's lives when something goes wacky at them that we don't know about. You know, when a developer in Philly, just down the block from me, I'm not sure if this happens in your city, but in a lot of cities, when developers are trying to do something with a building or a lot, they have to put up a sign saying when the next public meeting is about this on a park that's been a dog park that's been closed up that I think somebody is trying to build on. They put up their sign, but it's on a fence that is five feet behind a different fence that is locked. And so I don't have binoculars, so I don't know when the meeting was. <laughs> we posted a sign on the property, so that's all we... Yeah. And so, you know, (laughs) nobody in my neighborhood knows when this meeting was or when we could go. And it's a full time job sometimes to keep up with this. And so, you know, being able to check these things out and get people there is really important and really exciting. And these are the meetings that, you know, it would be great if we had enough journalists to get to these meetings and be if those journalists had the time. I think most journalists can empathize with the feeling of this meeting has been going on for three hours and they haven't gotten to the one thing I need them to talk about. And with documenters, you know, we'll be able to make that a lot more accessible to them. And, you know, in our little philosophy, it is really hoping that by taking off some of that workload for them, they'll have more time to do community engagement and, you know, meet with people and talk to them. Yeah. What are you hoping to do with this data once you get it in? Yeah. So there's a bunch of things. One, we're really hoping to get these notes just straight to residents. That's a really big thing. And we have an incredible community engagement team at Resolve who's been confirming that that's something that a lot of Philadelphians are very hungry for is they want to know what's happening at meetings that they can't get to, as well as getting these notes to journalists, working with journalists to prioritize, you know, what we ask documenters to kind of keep an eye out for, which is, you know, we worked with our reporting collaborative to confirm that they want people at these meetings. You know, it's, we listen to both residents and, to our, you know, entire collaboration. And the number one answer across the board was zoning meetings, those little developer meetings, 
streets department, spaces that are just like, we need somebody there and don't have the time to get someone there. You know, getting these notes in the hands of reporters. We've gotten some feedback that like even people who work in City Hall would use these notes. You know, if you're busy and you need to get to a meeting, but also you have to go talk to your boss and you can't make it to that particular meeting, the notes can kind of fill that out for you. The theme is everybody around Philly, everybody's strapped. Everybody's trying to, you know, trying to be in three places at once. And that is unfortunately not possible yet. So that's, you know, the most immediate stuff that we can do. But the thing that I'm really excited about is kind of looking at the metadata of what these notes are going to be putting together. So thinking about what are the data sets? What is the information about these meetings? That's not necessarily what's happening in them, but it's just about them that we can put together and start to analyze and look at. So some of the easy things will be like evaluating how accessible these meetings are. Do they have translators at these meetings? And how many meetings publish their agendas online ahead of time in compliance with open meeting laws? And how many don't? How many have public comments versus how many don't? What are the vote counts for some of these meetings? But also a little bit more I don't want to say nebulous because it's a little nebulous, it's a little nitty gritty, but thinking about, you know, <laughs> how many plants do developers put into meetings and figuring out when somebody does testify, who are they representing versus who do they say they're representing and thinking what are the common topics that people bring up and turning that into data because that is really helpful to look at the larger patterns and explore the through lines across departments or over time. And so I'm really excited to look at that metadata, which is gonna take a while to build, but it's going to be really, really valuable when we have it because then we can start talking about change and we can have some proof behind our pudding and show, you know, yeah, people were talking about this and now they're talking about that. Or, hey, city of Philadelphia, this developer has never had a public meeting about any construction that they're doing. We tried and couldn't get to a single one. What's up with that? Did you know? Has the developer been giving you other information? And, you know, being able to see the patterns that you know, you can't see in a one-off instance. Julie, I think we could be talking about this all day, but but thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This is kind of the, you call it the brass tacks. This is really kind of the nitty gritty of uh, local reporting. And it's a lot of stuff that, you know, people need to know. It's great that you guys have a, a focus on it, but also that you're thinking very much about how you're going to present this to the people to keep them informed. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, it's Documenters is an awesome program and it's really exciting that it's growing as much as it is. And I'm so excited that we get to do this here in Philly because 
information is power and I'm, I'm all about power to the people. <laughs> You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Bolevsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.